Morning, church. It's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning. For those of you watching online, we'd like to say welcome and uh, just let you know that we have online hosts available for you if you have questions, so feel free to reach out to them. This morning, I'd like to invite you all to stand as we go into a time of worship. I'm going to share quickly out of Psalm 95, verses 1 through 2, they say this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Later in verse 6, it says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Amen.
chapter 16 verse 16 if you're not familiar with the story it's the story of Paul and Silas worshiping and praising our God in prison and a lot of the times we focus on the praise in the prison but I want to kind of talk back about how they got there there was a woman who was following them and she was corrupted by an evil spirit and she was being a little bit of a nuisance and Paul got so aggravated it says that he casted her, the, the, the spirit out of her and someone was taking advantage of her using her to exploit her and gain them profit and as soon as the spirit left her they knew they wouldn't be able to do that again her owners so all of a sudden the owners come up with a plan to throw Paul and Silas in prison They were morally wronged. And I don't know what you came in here this morning with, but sometimes, have you ever heard this phrase? People who don't believe sometimes go, well, if God is real, why does he let bad things happen to good people? Church, he does that to expand and grow your testimony. God, we thank you we just thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. The turmoil that you've brought us out of. God, where that end goal is to be told at the heavenly gates, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, yeah. 
God, we just thank you for this moment just to praise and worship your name. God, to you be all the glory. To you be all the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning again. Good to be here. Welcome to Springbrook. I'm uh, Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Let me just say, if you're visiting with us this morning, let me just first start by saying thank you. Thank you so much for coming. There's lots of other things that you could do with your Sunday morning, but you chose to be here with us, and so I'm very grateful for that. Um, If you wouldn't mind, we would just like to connect with you so we get a chance to know you. Um, If you're online and you're watching there, they have a connection card you can fill out, or you can uh, talk with some of the guest visitors that I see paroling the chat in there. And, uh, you know, say hello so that we know who we are. Um, You can fill out the physical connection cards we have in the seats or out in the foyer out there. Or you could just simply text here to the 844-238-7507 number and just let us know that you're here, please. We'd love to get to know you. And uh, speaking of connecting with you, uh, we have our starting point workshop, you know, that is coming up. And just a little bit of a change from last week that I wanted to point out. We were having two different sessions. We've actually condensed those down to one, you know, starting on... Uh, you know, Wednesday night, August the 16th. And so if you would, uh, you know, please sign up for that. That's your chance to get to know more about the church, um, ask any questions that you might have, um, you know, get to know, you know, your leaders and things involved. So you can simply text connect to the 844 number or, you know, sign up through springbrock.org forward slash, you know, connect. Um, We have a leadership gathering coming up. So if you are a leader in any area of ministry here, we would like you to RSVP so that we, you know, know that you're going to be attending and, you know, grace us with your presence. If you could do so, to text, you know, leader simply to the 844 number, or you can go on springbrook.org forward slash leader and just, again, let us know that you're going to be there uh, right after the service, you know, uh, second service on uh, the 13th of the month of August. But again, just please let us know that you'll be there. And then also, at that same sign-up there, we're going to be hosting a training for our small group leaders and new small group hosts. And I say new small group hosts because I have complete confidence that we're going to have a bunch of them. So maybe you have uh, been sitting in a small group right now, and you're sitting around, and you're like, like, I can do this. This is something that I can do. You know, please go ahead and drop your information there. We'd like to have a discussion with you. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum, and you're like, I don't know if I can do that at all. Well, let me ask you, can you open up your home to others? If you can do that, we'd like to have a discussion with you because we can help you with all the other things. And so we would like you to, you know, host a small group in your home if you're willing. And so if you would, you know, please uh, go to springbrock.org forward slash leader and, you know, leave your information there, and we will certainly be in contact with you. So thank you very much, and, you know, Pastor Tim will be out in just a moment. longer that we have to wait for something, the more difficult it is to hold on to a sense of confidence that what we're waiting for will ever come to pass. Some of us know that in our own lives, perhaps we have been praying for a loved one to come to faith in Christ 
for years and years. And we struggle to hold on to a faith that, that, that our prayers will be answered. Uh, for some, they uh, feel like they're waiting a long time to find a job or to uh, find a spouse. Perhaps they have a, a great desire to get married and, and yet they see the days and the weeks and the months and the years passing by and they wonder if that thing that they are waiting for, that they are hoping for, will, will ever happen. The longer that we have to wait, sometimes the more difficult it is to believe that something will come to pass. In recent weeks, we've been studying together through uh, the New Testament letter of Second Peter in the study that we're calling Grow in Grace. And as we have walked through uh, this wonderful book in recent weeks, we've seen that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that because of what Christ has done for us, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. That is, to live a, a life that is pleasing to the Lord and growing in grace and in godliness, no matter the circumstance or the situation. We've, we've seen the, the faithfulness of God's promises. We've seen how God's Word is utterly reliable. Last week, if you were here, we, we heard a, a warning about the problem of false teachers, and yet we saw that set against the utter reliability of God Himself. And this morning, as we continue our study in Second Peter, we find ourselves in Second Peter in chapter 3. And Peter is, in a sense, I think, concerned uh, about comforting and encouraging people who knew what it was to be waiting and wondering. You see, ever since the death of Christ on the cross, the resurrection from the dead on the third day, those appearances that Pastor Rich was talking about in our recent series uh, for 40 days, how Jesus met with his disciples and appeared to others, and then his glorious ascension into heaven with the promise that this Lord Jesus will return in the same way as you have seen him go. The believers in the early church had been waiting, watching. When is he going to come? When is Christ going to return? The days and the weeks and the months and the years had passed by. And as Peter writes, he writes to encourage some who were perhaps growing weary and uncertain as to, is Christ ever going to come back? And if he is, why have we had to wait for so long? And there's a sense in which as we gather here this morning, nearly 2,000 years later, for some, that question is only intensified. Well, we talk about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's been 2,000 years. How much longer? And the fact it's been so long, 
how do we know that it's really going to happen? And what difference does it even make anyway? Well, if you've got a copy of the Scriptures with you, I want to invite you to join me as again we open the Word of God to Second Peter and to chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, and we begin reading in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. As Peter writes, he tells us to remember the prophets and the instruction of the Lord so that you are not shaken by those who may mock us. He starts off here in the beginning of this chapter. In a sense, he's telling us the purpose for his writing not only this letter, Second Peter, but also he refers to another letter. And surprise, surprise, we call this Second Peter because if you turn back just a couple of pages, you're going to find First Peter. Okay, so First Peter and Second Peter. And he says, the, the, my reason in writing these, the, the, my heart is to stir you up by way of reminder. And, and, and he's saying that, that really my heart, my purpose in both of the letters that I have written to you is one and the same. It is to remind you of the truth and the faithfulness of the promises of God. And specifically, he tells us here, uh, the truth and the faithfulness of the promise of God concerning the reality of the return of the Lord Jesus. If we had the time to do so right now, we could go back especially into... 1 Peter chapter 1, and there in that letter, he really kicks off the letter and everything else he's going to say by rooting it in the sure and certain hope that we have of the, in the return of Christ and our eternity with Him. And here, it's been so far more of an underlying uh, um, uh, idea within 2 Peter, but, it, but the return of Christ is woven through this letter, in particular in Second Peter in chapter 1, and now picking it up again in chapter 3. And so he says, I'm writing to you in both of these in order to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember, he says, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And so he's telling us here, that um, the Old Testament, 
represented here by the prophets, along with the Lord Jesus himself, in addition to the teaching of the New Testament apostles, they are all consistent. They are all on the same page. Each one of them, the Old Testament testifies to, to the, the, the coming judgment at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the certainty of Christ's return. Jesus himself spoke of the fact that he would go away, but then he would return in glory and in judgment. And then the teaching of the apostles, and we can see this even as we look through the epistles of Paul, of Peter, of John, as we look through the preaching um, uh, as recorded in the book of Acts, we see that there is a consistency. And so Peter is saying, I want to remind you, I want to stir you up and keep this at the very front of your mind constantly. But then he says... In verse 3, he says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. So if you're wondering what scoffers do, they scoff. And, and, and he's referring here to, to, to people who will mock, people who will criticize, people who will make fun of. And, and specifically, uh, what he's doing is he's linking these to, to the false teachers that we saw last week from chapter 2. But the, the, the root of the issue here, they're going to scoff about all sorts of things. And we see this all in our culture today, just as the people in Peter's day saw this as well. There were all sorts of opposition, all sorts of opponents, and some of them were just mocking. And then mocking every part of Christianity. Oh, that's just a crutch for the weak. Oh, you don't believe that stuff, do you? Uh, those sorts of things. But specifically, he draws out here a particular criticism, a particular mocking that they're engaged in. He says, know this first of all. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They're going their own way. They're pursuing their own stuff. But what are they saying? They will say, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? So uh, the, the root of what they're really attacking is, is hey, you, you guys say that Christ is coming again. Uh, you say that the reason that you're pursuing godliness, you say that the reason that you gather together on a Sunday morning in this thing called church, instead of going out for brunch, instead of lying in and, and sleeping in, instead of cutting the, the, the grass, instead of going and tailgating during the football season, the reason that, that, that you do this is because, is because this Jesus that you say that you follow, that he's coming again, and you want to honor him, and you want to be ready, and, and all of that. Yeah, well, where's his coming? How much longer are you going to wait? They mock. And they say, hey, listen, ever since the fathers fell asleep, and this is talking probably about the, the, um, uh, the patriarchs, the father, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they're saying, hey, way back, ever since they died, everything is exactly the same as it's always been. Say, all things continue as they were from the beginning, and so they're really in a sense, undercutting this idea. And they're saying, hey, you talk about this idea that, that the heavens are going to open and Jesus is going to return. Well, guess what? Guess what? God has been, even if he exists, he's not been engaged in anything. 
Show me evidence that God is involved. You know, maybe if he exists, he just kind of like sort of wound up creation like one of those toys and, 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 and walked away while he left everything just to unfold on its own. There's no divine intervention. And so they mock. And Peter says, remember the prophets and the instruction of the Lord. Remember what they have taught so that you are not shaken by those who mock us. So that when they criticize, when they say, none of this is real. Where's the evidence? How much longer are you going to wait? That you don't lose heart. Because when we have to wait for something for a really long time, it's easy to become forgetful or discouraged. And interestingly, he addresses their mocking by pointing out three elements of the fact that God is active and engaged. Now, we need to understand that, that all throughout history, we see the, the evidence of the fact that God is not, is not somehow separate and uninvolved, but He is what we call in theology, He is, he is both transcendent, that is above and over, but He is also imminent. That is, He is near and He is engaged in His creation. And that's true even from moment to moment. The reason that you and I woke up this morning, that we have life, that we have breath in our lungs, is because God Himself is at work. The New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ upholds the whole universe by the word of His power. That is, that even for an instant, were He to withdraw His word, everything would cease to be. We have a God who is engaged and active. But Peter here points to three evidences, well, two historical and then one, in a sense, kind of pointing forward. He says, verse 5, for they, those mockers, those scoffers, they deliberately overlook this fact. That is, they have forgotten. Remember through this book, Peter is saying, remember this, remember, remember, remember. And now he's saying, here's the problem with those who mock. They have forgotten. They've forgotten this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And so the first thing he gives as evidence, and he could go to many other examples, but he goes to creation. He says, God created the heavens and the earth. And he uses this, this phrase, by water and his word. And so we see back in the Genesis account that part of the creation was that God separated the waters uh, um, uh, above from the waters below, and we kind of have this atmosphere. We have the oceans, and then we have the, the, uh, the, the, the atmosphere. Uh, we have the heavens. But he did this at the word. God spoke, and it came to pass. And he's kind of got this interplay that we're going to see here between water and word. And as a second evidence, it says it's not only creation we can look to to show that we have a God who is actively engaged. But then he points back also in the book of Genesis, and he's already used this example last week when he was talking about false teachers, but he points back to the flood. He says, another evidence that God is active and engaged is that he sent the flood upon the earth by water 
and His Word. So the same things. He used water to flood, to deluge the earth, to bring judgment on the wicked and the ungodly. And He did that at the command of His Word. So people who scoff and say, ah, everything's always been the same. God's uninterested and uninvolved. So your idea that Jesus is going to return is just ridiculous. Peter says, hey, I could give you a long list of evidences, but let me just give you a couple of examples. God is active and he is engaged. And if you knew your history, you would not be so foolish as to mock. But then after giving those two, in verse 7, it says, but by the same word, The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so, here, he's talking about something not that has happened yet, but that which you are looking forward to by his word. So, again, we've got here uh, uh, water in the word, water in the word. Now, we've got the same word. The Word of God. So God is the initiator. He's the one who who brings this to pass. By His Word, He will bring judgment. This time, not by water, but by fire at the coming of Christ. Now again, we've seen this a little bit in recent weeks and judgment and now this stuff about fire. We're going to see everything burning up and being destroyed. It's not necessarily the most comfortable thing for us to think about and talk about. But, but it is important that we understand the reality, the seriousness of Christ's return. Not as a baby in the manger, but as a conquering king, ruler, and judge. And it's interesting, it's, it's not with water this time, but it's by the word and by fire. And, and part of the reason for that is because God is faithful to his promise. So this has been a, a key theme throughout Second Peter. Back in Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, so after the flood in the days of Noah, God set a, a rainbow in the sky after the flood, after the waters had receded. And God declared, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And so the fact that the coming judgment is going to be uh, 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 through the Word of God with with fire, this destructive, uh, this purifying thing, is itself a testimony to the faithfulness of God to His Word. What's more... Fire speaks of this judgment and purification, something that the Old Testament attests to, and there are many passages we could go to. But in Isaiah chapter 66, it says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and His chariots like the whirlwind, to render His anger and fury and His rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by His sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. And then Zephaniah 1.18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. You don't find that on too many of those greeting cards or the encouraging words of the day that you get in your email box. 
And yet, yet, the coming of the Lord is sure, and it is certain, and those who mock and say, ha, you've been waiting for so long, this is never going to happen. Where's the promise of His coming? He will surely return. He will surely return. This passage, by the way, here in Second Peter, does not give us a, a detailed breakdown of all the end times events. It doesn't give us a timeline or this is going to happen and then this and this and this. But it does anticipate Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former Things have passed away. And so Peter is talking about the sure and certain return of Christ. And it will be a day of judgment. But for those who are in Christ, those who have trusted Him as their Savior and their Lord, while it will be a, a, a fearsome day, it is also a day that ushers in the splendor of the glory of eternity in the presence of Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. And in this, we can have a joyful confidence, legitimate for us to struggle with this. Why are you taking so long, Lord? How much longer do we have to wait? In, in Peter's day, uh, he's writing Second Peter shortly before his death. Uh, before his martyrdom under Emperor Nero. This is probably somewhere around about 64, 65 AD. That's about 30, 35 years after the ascension of Jesus. They've been waiting all that time. And here we are 2,000 years later. Lord, what's taking so long? And Peter continues in our passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
And so as he continues to write and to remind us here, he says, remember the Lord. Remember who he is and what he's like. Remember the Lord and find hope and understanding. And so the instruction that he gives here, first of all, he says, don't overlook this. You notice that back in, uh, back in verse 4, they uh, are those who, uh, 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 verse 4 and 5, those who are mocking, they overlooked. That is, they forgot the truth. But now he's saying, as for you who are in Christ, don't overlook, don't forget this, but rather remember. Remember what the Lord is like. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. First of all, He's saying, remember that his time is not our time. Uh, Peter here is referencing Psalm 90, verse 4. In that passage, it speaks about the, this, this idea that, that, uh, that to the Lord, uh, a thousand years is just like the dawning of a new day. Now, some have tried to go to this passage, and they've tried to work out a chronology and, and, and said, okay, so, so how many days are there before the coming or return of the Lord? And they've tried to go to various different passages and say, if a thousand years is like a day, he's not saying a thousand years is a day. He's merely saying that the Lord's time is not ours. That which we consider to be a long time is as nothing to the Lord. In fact, our lives are but a breath like a vapor before him. Psalm 90 goes on to explain. And so, first he says, don't overlook this. That a thousand years are like a day to the Lord. And so what we think may be a long time waiting from the Lord's perspective, he is not delaying. In fact, he goes on to explain this. He's, remember that his promise remains true, and he is not slow in fulfilling it. And so in verse 9, as we heard read, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Now, you see, it's easy for us sometimes to, to, to look at, at uh, something and to think, oh, well, that, that's happening very, very slowly. Or, or even worse, that God is, in a sense, delaying. Uh, but from the heavenly perspective that Peter is pointing us to, God is actively engaged and at work in the world today. There is a sense in which he is even now working out his promise to fulfillment. And so it's not that, it's not that God uh, has made this promise and then gone on vacation. And we're sitting around waiting. When's he going to get back to work? But rather, God is at work. He is moving all of history towards his determined and decreed end. Remember that his patience reveals kindness. It gives us opportunity to repent, and so it says here, but God is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the apostle Paul is making the same point. There, uh, he's addressing people who would mock and would kind of make this excuse in their lives and say, hey, uh, God must not be bothered about my sin, because if he was, he would just bring judgment right now. And so, they were continuing to do the same stuff. They were continuing to pile up sin, and they were making the excuse, God doesn't care, because if he did, he'd strike me dead. And there, Paul makes the point that, no, you misunderstand. You you think that him uh, leaving time is because he is uncaring or uninterested. Nothing could be further from the truth. He is leaving room. He is showing kindness. He is showing compassion. The fact that we are not destroyed the moment that we sin is the mercy of God in order that we might have time to repent and get right with Him. And so, here, just as in the words of the prophet Ezekiel, where it says that the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. We see that, that God doesn't delight in bringing judgment against sinners. He delights when people repent of their sin and turn to Him. And, and, and so, his, his delay in Christ's return is not a delay in Him fulfilling His promise. It is an administration of His kindness. But then he goes on, and he says, remember then that his judgment will certainly yet unexpectedly come. So he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. And so, first of all, he points to this, this certainty and yet unexpected nature of the return of Christ. He will come as a thief in the night. Now, all through the New Testament, we see this imagery. Jesus himself speaks about it in Matthew chapter 24. He, he says that we should be ready. We should be watchful because his return will be when we least expect it like a thief in the night. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, it's very interesting. We often think, oh, things are going to be worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and, and then it is. But actually, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, when everybody is going about saying peace and safety, when we're kind of lulled into a sort of a, 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 a it will be at that moment, unexpectedly. If we knew when the thief was coming, we would stay up. So he did not break into the house. And so Jesus says, in much the same way, it will be certain and yet unexpected. What's more, his return will bring about the burning up of the heavenly bodies. Literally, the word there, heavenly bodies, means the elements. And there is a sense in which, in the same way as God created everything from nothing, that he will take everything and bring it to nothing. He'll burn up the heavenly bodies and the earth. And then it says, and the works that are done on the earth will be exposed. Again, this speaks of the certainty of judgment. Hebrews chapter 4 addresses this as well. It says that everything will be laid naked. 
before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That their every, every deed, every action, every word, every thought, every motivation will be laid bare before the presence of the Lord at the return of Christ. The letter is going to finish, as we will discover next week, with really the question of how then should we live in light of all of this? Because there's a lot in there that we need to think about and wrestle through. We're going to take time and cover that portion next week. But I don't want to leave us without considering what do we do or how do we respond or what difference does all of this make for us today? And what we see here in our text is, is, friends, that we are to remember the promise of the Lord. I don't know where we each are and the things that we're going through, but sometimes we can get discouraged because we feel like we're just waiting so long. Some of us have been praying about a situation in our life for a really long time, and we are growing discouraged, and we're maybe even throwing up our hands and saying, God, do you even hear? God, do you even care? God, do you even see? Peter says specifically about the return of Christ, but it's a reminder for all things. Go back again and remember the promise. Go back again and remember who he is and what he's like, that he is faithful, that, he, that his timing is not our timing, that his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, but they are so much higher and greater than ours. Go back and remember the promise of who he is and what he has declared. Don't be distracted or discouraged by scoffers, and there are plenty of them. You will meet them at Jewel and Walmart. You will meet them at work and around the family table. You will meet them on the streets and every time you switch on the TV. There are plenty who are scoffing and mocking. Don't be discouraged. There are a lot of, especially our young people, who follow people on TikTok or on YouTube or in some other platform, and they appear to be so uh, uh, wonderful in their, in, in, in their arguments against Christianity, and they're mocking this, and they're mocking that, and they have the appearance of sounding wise. But their arguments are empty and foolish, and almost always exceedingly easily answered. But the challenge that we face is that sometimes we just get so tired of all the mocking that's there and all of the voices that are mocking and scoffing that eventually we start to think, well, maybe there's something to this, and we let our guard down, and we stop remembering truth, and we become discouraged and listen to those mockers. And Peter would say, don't be distracted or discouraged by them. For some of us here, we need to recognize that we need to repent. This passage tells us that the very reason for, for the, the, the seeming slowness of the return of Christ is that God is giving you today to get right with Him. 
And it may be that there's some of us here or some of us watching online who have been sort of dancing around. Yeah, well, I'm kind of interested in this whole thing, and I'm interested in spirituality, but I don't know if I really need that. I don't know if I really need Christ. I don't know if I'm really ready. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the opportunity to have your sins forgiven. Today is the day to come before God in repentance and to say, God, here I am. I have been delaying. I have been making excuses. I have been going my own way. I have been a scoffer and a mocker towards you. I've sinned against you. And your perfection and your holiness and your love, forgive me. We need to take seriously the seriousness of our sin against a holy God. The, re- the, the seeming slowness of the return of Christ is not so you can live for yourself. It is not so you can keep on doing whatever you want to do, feeling like God doesn't really care, otherwise he would intervene and stop me. Don't ever challenge God to stop you in your sin. But rather, it is so that you would not waste today, this moment, Sunday, July 23rd, 2023. If there is something in your life, if there is unconfessed sin, if you've never come to that place of acknowledging your need of Jesus, that his death on the cross made provision for you, to trust your life to him in obedience, crying out, God, here I am. Forgive me for my sin. I want to follow you all of the days of my life, and I believe in Jesus, that, that he is the son of God, that he died for my sin, that he paid my debt, that he died my death. And from this moment forward, I'm yours. Today, his gift of forgiveness and life is available. Repent. And then finally, be ready. I'm going to dive into this more next week, but be ready because his coming is certain, but it will come as a thief in the night. We are to be engaged about his business. The New Testament says, what should we be doing as we wait for the return of Christ? We're to be doing that which honors the Lord, to be engaged in that which he's called us to do. Quit making excuses. Don't get lazy. Oh, Kyle mentioned a little bit earlier that we long to hear on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, who here is well done. The servant who is about the master's business. What is it that we need to be engaged in so that we would not be ashamed on that soon and coming day? Perhaps even today when Christ comes again. Remember, Christ is coming again so that you will repent and wait with readiness. Our Father, we thank you that you are utterly faithful to your word. As we gather here this morning, we confess 
that like those in the days of Peter so long ago, that we sometimes struggle with holding on to the confidence or being quick to forget that which we need to wait on you for. Lord, would you teach us to wait with expectation and anticipation? Would you help us to remember the faithfulness of your promises? And when we find ourselves discouraged or overwhelmed by those who seek to mock, to criticize, to make fun of our faith in you, may we remain steadfast in the knowledge that your word is true. And Lord, I pray that should there be any here today who perhaps have been delaying themselves, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that today would be the day of repentance, that we would not mock you by living for ourselves or treating sin lightly, but that we would turn to you, confessing our sin and finding life. Oh, Lord, help us to look forward to that day, for though it will be a day of judgment, will also be a day in which those who are in you will enjoy the fullness of the salvation that you have purchased and prepared for us. And so, Lord, may we have an urgency in the spread of the gospel, a steadfastness as we walk before you, and a holy and joyful anticipation of your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning as we continue in worship.
Father, all the glory and all the praise to you this morning. And we thank you so much and we love you so much. Thank you for joining us this weekend in our corporate worship and our corporate prayer and our corporate uh, teaching. Please, if you, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to go deeper with your faith or you have questions, please don't hesitate to find someone. If not, then we encourage you to just go in love, go in peace to serve our God. Awesome. Thank you.